Well, good morning to you. Was that good worship or what? It really was. Now, for some of you guys, you go, well, like, what is worship and was it good? I don't really know. But yeah, it was really incredible. It really was. And we are so glad that you came to experience uh, that with us. Now, you know, I know that there are probably some times when you wonder why people get excited. Like, for instance, if you're a Cubs fan. It's amazing how Cubs fans get excited about losing. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. But now on other teams, and I won't mention any other team particularly, but they have a record sometimes of winning. You, you understand the excitement. Well, the reason we get so excited about what we talked about today and what we're going to talk about is because we're talking about a winner. We're not talking about hope, so maybe, he may win, he may lose. We are talking about Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who one day died on the cross, they put him in the grave for three days, and came back to life. And I'm telling you, that's something to get excited about. Now, now I told the folks oh, several weeks ago, I said, you know, there's, there's about three things about Jesus that are really you know, phenomenal. What is this? He, he's a one-of-a-kind Savior. He's, he's a one-of-a-kind man. Uh, there have been lots of men, there's been lots of religious leaders, but check this out. This is historical. This is not even from the Bible. This is truth. Is that of all the religious leaders, there's only one who predicted his death, his burial, and resurrection, and then pulled it off. He's the only one who came and lived on the earth, said, I'm going to die, and sure enough, and predicted the way he was going to die, and even the Old Testament did that, and died on a cross, and was buried, and came back to life. Now, no other religious leader can claim that. Just Jesus Christ. That's pretty phenomenal. And again, that's historical. That's not even from the Bible. And then, then this, boy, I hate to use the word Christianity because there's so much more in America that has such a, a different tone nowadays. But it really is a Christ followers. A Christian means Christ-like. But Christianity is a one-of-a-kind belief system. You know, check this out. Every other religious system in the world, every other belief system in the world throws in some kind of, I've got to be good. I mean, if I'm good enough, God might let me into heaven. That's what every other religion. And then along comes Jesus Christ doing his thing on the cross, dying on the cross and resurrecting. And God offers this wonderful forgiveness, eternal life thing based on grace. What he did, not what we've got to do. I was on someone back there, back in the room before church. And I'm going, you know, I'm so glad that God's relationship with us and us with God is not dependent upon performance. Because some of you guys are pretty good, but you're not that good. And so if it was based on performance, we would all be losers. And we'd all go, you know, it's being eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But so cool is, is that God extends grace and doesn't care if you're black, white, green, or yellow, rich, or poor. Whether you speak English or Spanish or some other language. You know, he says, here's this wonderful gift of forgiveness. And that's something to be excited about. And then we got this, this book called the Bible. And it's a one-of-a-kind book. I mean, again, you know, I, I told, when I shared this, I talked about the Koran. And again, this is something that's not a slam against Islam or, or about the Koran. But, you know, the Koran has a, um, has a uh, group of scholars whose job it is, is to determine what was the latest revelation that Muhammad had. So consequently, the beliefs and the Quran itself constantly goes under revision, revision, revision. You know, what's really crazy is, is that the Bible has never been revised. We have different translations, 
But God never said, oops, I want, I meant to say this and say that. And that's just incredible. Again, nothing about negative about the Quran. It's just the truth is, is that the Bible is a one of a kind book. It's a book that's been around for some 4,000 years that we can totally and completely trust. It's really an incredible thing. So you got this one of a kind man, a savior of the world named Jesus Christ. You got a one of a kind belief system, not based on performance and I've got to do and keep the rules, but based totally on God's grace. And then you got this one of a kind book that has proven itself through the millennia, not decades, not even centuries. Millennia has proven itself true. How incredible is that? So today we want to talk about this one of a kind man, uh, this, this, one, this wonderful man who died for us and offered grace. And we want to talk about what happens when he comes into the world. What happens when he impacts the world? What happens when he shows up? How does it change things? You might say this, you know, what happens when light shows up with darkness? What happens when, when hope shows into a hopeless situation? What happens when joy runs into despair? And we have a beautiful picture in Luke chapter 7 today of exactly what happens when Jesus' world collides with our world. And here's the cool part. It happens every day today. And you go, well, Dwayne, yeah, that's really cool, but that happened 2,100 years ago. Well, you know, I'm not particularly a fan of Newsweek, but a friend walked in and handed this to me today. said, hey, this is a special Jesus edition. You know, I got it for you. I want you to read it. You know, if you want to read it, I said, that'd be great. So I crack it open, you know, just sitting and waiting for Sunday school to start. And it's really cool. It's got this great picture of, of course, we don't know what Jesus looked like. But, you know, there's that. But listen to this. Here's what Newsweek says, a very, very secular uh, publication. Here's what it says. He is perhaps, he is perhaps, he, not was, he is perhaps the most recognizable man on earth. Aren't you glad Newsweek recommends I recognizes that he lives? <laughs> they recognize that it's not that Jesus was. See, Jesus isn't a was, he's an is. See, it goes on and says this, and yet no one alive has ever seen his face. And so how is it that we came to a part where a, a carpenter, like you heard in the song, a carpenter from, a, from Nazarene, a guy we shouldn't even know about, yet fully one-third of the world's population, almost every nation in the world recognizes and, and understands that Jesus is connected with God. How do we reach that point? Because it's true and because it's real. And because of the collision that occurs when Jesus meets our world. And that's a really good thing. So you've got a sermon sheet in your bulletin if you want to pull that out. I'll be teaching from the Word of God in Luke chapter 7, verse number 11 through 17. A wonderful story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Short, but just, just full of truth for us today. The Bible says this, starting in verse number 11 of Luke chapter 7. Um, soon afterward. Now, you've got to pause there just a moment. Uh, we, we talked last week from Luke, the first part of Luke chapter 7, how that a Roman centurion, and like the Romans were the enemy of the Jews, okay, and like they were way pagan, yet a Roman centurion somehow had faith and believed that, that he had a sick servant, and Jesus would just speak the word, his servant would be healed. And Jesus was amazed and said, I had not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel, and it came from all things from a pagan. How incredible is that? So soon after that, Dr. Luke, the physician, gives us that bit of information. Soon after that, he was on his way to a, a town called Nain. Now, to really appreciate this, you, you've got to really know about Nain. Nain was big enough to have a city gate, so it wasn't a real small town. But the bottom line is, it was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was like 25 miles south of Capernaum in the middle of nowhere. It was kind of like, like Golconda. Now, Golconda is a nice town. Okay, but can we be honest? You've got to be going to Golconda 
to get to Golconda. I mean, it ends at the river. You know, if you take the highway there, you run into the river, you end. You don't say, I think I'll swing through Golconda today. It, you've got to be going there. Well, that's the way it was with Nain. And you might ask the question, well, why was Jesus going to a real isolated city in the middle of nowhere? And we're fixing to find that out. And I want to tell you this. Jesus is the kind of Savior, and God's the kind of God that wants to seek you out. See, we're going to learn at the end of the Scripture that no one really seeks after God. God draws us. God pulls us. God is seeking after us. So he goes to this town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. And this is the world of Jesus. I mean... You kind of wanted to hang with Jesus because you never knew what was going to happen. You never just knew what was going to happen. I mean, there might be a lame guy and, and you know, his leg get healed. There might be a blind guy and all of a sudden he can see. There might be a deaf guy or someone who can't speak and their mouth would be healed or the ears would be open. It's just incredible to hang around Jesus. One time, everybody got a free lunch. One day, there were 5,000 men plus all the women and children show up. They didn't have food. So Jesus took a few loaves and a few fishes, asked God to bless it. And they started breaking off bread. And everybody left full that day with 12 basketfuls left over. Just an incredible. You didn't know. The world of Jesus. Now, I know we kind of think like Jesus like, you know, like this. Oh, come on. I mean, I think Jesus smiled. I think Jesus laughed. I think Jesus, I mean, come on, when you heal somebody and, you know, give them their life back, you go, wow, how incredible is that? I think it was fun to hang around Jesus. I, I can imagine they're, they're walking toward Nain, and I can see Jesus turn to 11 going, guys, can you believe what happened? I mean, can you believe that Roman centurion? I, that's just incredible to me how he had that kind of faith. So Jesus' world was one of joy and happiness and purpose, and his disciples hung with him, but notice something else, a large crowd. A large crowd. Because again, you made another free lunch. But Jesus was just incredible to hang around. So here's this huge group of people. Here's a large crowd. Here's the 11 guys. And here's Jesus. And they're talking, having a good time, heading in toward name. And they run smack dab and have a collision with something the exact opposite. They run into a funeral. Look at what the Bible says. Look what it says. Verse number 12. Just as he neared the gate... Of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And, just like the group of Jesus, a large crowd from the city was also with her. So as he nears the gate there, there's a funeral procession. All right, we see those today. But, but most of the service and most of the emotion occurs in funeral homes at the funeral home. You know, I, I was sitting at the stoplight just this week, and here comes Randy going by with a funeral procession. And, you know, everybody was cool. They were collected, and the immediate cars were the family. I didn't see any tears falling. It was together. But in this case, in that era, the emotion carried over to the gravesite. So they got this dead guy, and the Bible says it's really tragic, really tragic on two levels. One is the Bible says he's a young man. With the Greek word there, probably 25 or a little over 25. Okay, so a very young man has died. And that's sad. That's tragic. And, and unlike our procession today, the wailing, you see this, have you seen the news when, when you know, in the Middle East, when people die and they have the casket going on, they have open bar there, beer there, and you see people crying and wailing and stuff. Well, the same thing. It's, it carried over back to Bible times. And so here's this young man. He's very obviously dead. Okay, but probably the greater tragedy, if there's someone greater than that, is the mom. Because the Bible says, now, and let me share this too. Again, when we do a procession here, you have the hers, you have the family cars, you have the rest of the cars. Okay? So here, the, the closest relative would lead the procession. So you got this woman all by herself, because she's a widow, there's no husband. 
her only son. There were no other children anywhere indicated. So she's walking by herself in just a total emotional wreck. And then behind her is the, the, the guys carrying the body. And then behind that is this huge group of friends, family, distant family, and, and also paid professional mourners. If, if, the, if the emotions started getting down a little bit, they would fire it up by going, you know, getting emotional again. And they would keep the emotion going because it's such a big part of what they did in a funeral. So did you get this now? So this mother is walking by herself. And she has burying, she's burying her only son. Uniquely, for those of you who, who know Bible, uniquely, this is the exact same word that John 3.16 uses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Same word. Same word. The only one that she had, the only son she had is being buried. Now, we also know she's a widow. So she has no husband to take care of her. Now, the one who would provide for her, her son, is now dead. So she's gone through the tragedy of losing a husband. She's gone through the tragedy of losing her son. And then she has this huge cloud over her of worry and doubt. There was no social security system. There was no, you get half your husband's pension. Um... Really, the church even wasn't really established to the point yet where it would kick in and help the widows. So really, she's at the sake of, of society. And she's going, how, how, how am I going to eat? Who's going to pay the rent? Where's the food going to come from? I mean, it was really a tragic situation. So we have the, the dead guy. We have this mama leading the way. Her world has totally collapsed. Does your world ever collapse? Have you ever got the pink slip and you've got three kids to feed and you're wondering, how's that going to happen? Maybe you're the one that has lost a loved one. Perhaps your husband or your wife was suddenly taken from you and you know that despair. You know, how am I going to get up in the morning? What am I going to do? How is life going to go on? We've all experienced this. A lot of us have experienced that to various degrees. So you have this large crowd following in the background, but she's alone, she's a widow, she's lost her soul support. And this is when those worlds collide. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number 13, and again, there are three very significant things in this verse, and I'm not making a big deal out of a little bit of Bible. I'm just revealing a big deal that the Bible shows us to make sure we see it. I'm not making a big deal just so it's part of the sermon. I think these are great truths that we need to see and apply to our lives today. First off, the Bible says this. Let me read the verse and we'll come back. When the Lord, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't cry. I want you to see, first off, the Lord saw her. Now, again, it'd been very easy for Jesus to just move to the side, let the procession go by. He's a very busy man. He's busy saving the world and teaching the gospel. Been very understandable if he just said, y'all going by and I'll continue my way. But as she walked by and Jesus saw the brokenness, it moved him. He saw her. He, he went, now listen, he went from his world into her world. Now, the reason I'm so excited about to be able to share the truth of the gospel with you today is because that same Jesus wants to do the same for you. He wants to move from his world into your world. He wants to come into your life and help you and change 
your world. How incredible is that? How incredible to think that the Jesus who died on the cross and pulled off his own resurrection and lives today. In fact, and the Bible speaks about you know, the fact he is God and the fact that he was creator. That God is not too busy enough to come into your world. See, you think you came because it's Easter today. You came because your family invited you today. No, no, no. You're here because God's got great truth for you. And that truth is he wants to come into your world. Move from his unto yours. And then the Bible says that he had compassion on her. Very unique Greek word. Very unique word. It means he was moved from within. <laughs> kind of humorous. You know, every once in a while I get mushy. You know, it's, I try to avoid it because I'm a man guy. You know thing? I got my man card. But every once in a while I get mushy. And I'll say, Judy, I love you with all my heart. Somebody say all. Yeah. And I'll say that every once in a while. Well, in, in this period of time, in this era, you wouldn't have said heart. It, it, was the, it was the seat of the emotions. So I would look at Judy and say, Judy, I love you with all my intestines. I'm not lying. Check it out. Get your commentary out. The, the seat of the emotions were the guts. And so, so when Jesus said he had compassion, he was moved, listen, at the deepest part of his being. So, so it wasn't like, oh, that's really too bad. I mean, he came into her world and he identified with her hurt and her pain. The same thing happened in John chapter 11 when a good friend of his named Lazarus had died. And he's going he's to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. But he's sitting there. He sees all the crying going on. And the Bible says Jesus wept. Even though he knew Lazarus was going to come back to life, he wept because he was, he was in their world. He felt their hurt. And the Bible says he groaned. And that really means he hurt from within. So, so when Jesus saw her, he moved into her world, but he really identified with her hurt. Now look at me. That's the God I'm talking about. I know, I know, I know. A lot of people say, well, if there is a God, he kind of gave the world a spin one day, psh, and put it to spinning, and now he's off doing his thing, and good luck. We hope you make it. There is nothing more unscriptural than that. The God of the universe is intimately involved in the lives of men and women. He moves into your world. And look at me. He hurts when you hurt. Hey, I, I think he celebrates when you celebrate. But he hurts when you hurt. Every time we visit the funeral home, our Savior hurts with that. He identifies with that. He's moved with compassion. He's moved from the inside. And then he says these words that you kind of go, what? You know, uh, he says, he said to her, don't cry. And you kind of want to go, don't cry. Don't cry. Paul's time out, Jesus, Savior of the world. And we want to tell God this sometimes too, by the way. Time out, God. Let me give you a briefing on my life. You see, that guy laying on the, on the beer back there, the open coffin. Yeah, that guy, he's my only son. Oh, in case you were busy a year or so or six months ago, by the way, my husband died too. So before you say don't cry, try to understand where I am. Because I now have no support. The two men that were closest in my life, my, my husband and my son, are now dead. So before you say don't cry, check out the history. Ever feel like saying, God? Hey, God, before you, before you say, hey, it's going to be okay, visit my world. I want to tell you, he has and he is. He has 
And he is. So I said to myself, there's only two possibilities here with Jesus saying, don't cry. He either one is incredibly insensitive. Suck it up. Get over it. Come on, move on. I mean, you put on your big girl. Girl. <laughs> I think I'll say panties from the pulpit. So <laughs> put on your big girl. Put on your big girl. Yo, put that on. Put that on. So that'll make him incredibly insensitive. Or he's fixing to do something about this. He's fixing to do something about it. And I'm going to give you a clue. It's B. It's B. Jesus is so sensitive. Again, he's in her world. He, he is moved with compassion. And he says, don't cry because I'm fixing to change everything. Look at this incredible story unfold. Verse 14. So he, Jesus, came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped. Now, let me pause here. Again, in Jewish culture, you know, back when the law was given in the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the law was very clear that a, a person became unclean when he touched anything associated with a dead person. So here we have a rabbi willing to stop and touch this beer, this open coffin with a dead man on it. He was willing to risk defilement. He was willing to become unclean because of the compassion he had for this woman. And you don't realize it, but that's what Friday was all about. That's what the cross was all about. Because the Bible says Jesus not only became uh, defiled, he not only became unclean. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. So that's what Friday was all about. What happens here when Jesus said, I'm going to be defiled, I'm going to become unclean, that's what happened on a Roman cross. The Bible says that the wages of sin was death. And Jesus was willing, he had no sin of his own, so he willingly died on a cross. They didn't take his life, it wasn't murder. He gave his life up on this cross. He was willing to become cursed because the Bible says, cursed is he that hangs on a tree. He was willing to do all of that that we might be saved. And forgiven of our sins. He was willing to do that so this woman could have her world changed. He did that so your world could be changed. So, so he reached out and touched the open coffin, the, the beer, and, and the pole bear stopped, of course. I mean, this is, this is just really uncharacteristic. And watch this. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. Now, you can even tell from the English translation that that is a command. So he speaks to this dead body, this young man, this 25-year-old man, and says, I say to you, get up. That's what happened Sunday. That happened Friday. And forever, Jesus Christ on Easter morning proved he was victorious over death. That he commands death and death doesn't command him. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Now, y'all are still... I know Duck Dynasty is kind of off the radar now for some reason. It may have run its course. I don't know. But you don't hear much about Duck Dynasty. But I was watching... I'm sorry. I was reading um, Phil Robertson's book. And I kind of wondered, where did he get the name Duck Commander? 
You know, you, you kind of want to think that, you know, he leads his sons to go hunt ducks. He's the commander. And they're the troops and they follow after. But here's what, here's what I found out. The Bible, the Bible says, <laughs> well, Phil Robertson said. In his book, he says he was hunting with a friend and they were calling ducks. He was, Phil was calling ducks in. And the friend said, as the ducks landed on the pond, just they seemed to be compelled from the sky. The friend said, Phil, you don't call ducks. You command them. I am talking about a man today who commands death. It's not arbitrary. It's not accidental. It's not like, whoops here and oops there. I am talking to you about a Savior named Jesus who forever defeated death when he resurrected from a, a cross, a Roman cross. They buried him. He came back to life. He is the commander. He is victorious over death. And that's good news for him. It's great news for us. Now, I want to tell you something. It was cool in this situation. Because the only thing that could change really this woman's circumstance was could God give her son back? So he speaks to the man, young man, and says, I tell you, get up. In verse 15, the Bible says, the Word of God says, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, I know that's incredible. But you got to remember something. Jesus was an incredible man. He was God in the flesh. Jesus not only claimed to be God, but allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. And just to prove he was God and the Savior of the world, brought himself back to life on the third day. He proved it. So this, this person, and let me tell you something. When the dead people sit up, the funeral's over. The funeral's over. Now, let me tell you something. I'm telling you that we have all lost loved ones. And we went through the agony of a funeral. But as we trust Christ, as they trust Christ, the funeral changes. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I'm telling you, Jesus is a game changer and Jesus is a world changer. He can bring hope into the most hopeless situation. He can bring light into the most dark situation. Now listen, I'm not talking about Baptist stuff. I'm not talking about church. No, I'm talking about a personal relationship with God's grace through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to take home today. We don't sell Dorsville Baptist Church. We don't pitch Southern Baptists. We're here to tell you great news. They call it the gospel because it's good news. That I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. Resurrected the third day, proving he's God. And anyone who asks for forgiveness, God will grant that forgiveness when they turn from their sin. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. Well, you can imagine what happened. I mean, again, if the preacher wasn't done, he's done them. Okay? So the Bible says this. Then fear came over everyone, I reckon. Okay? And they glorified God. Now, notice instantly, by the way, they didn't attribute this to, to Satan. They didn't attribute it to the tree God. They didn't attribute it to the rock God. They knew God had done something. So, so they were over, fear came over everyone. They glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And I said, yep, that's right. Greater than you ever knew. Greater than Elijah. Greater than Elisha. Greater than Moses. Greater than Abraham. The I am has showed up. Jesus Christ, the great I am. When Moses was going back to Egypt saying, um, what, who should I tell these people when they ask who sent me? Who sent me? And God just simply said, I am. That's all you need. I am. Well, I'm telling you, the great I am showed up that day. 
And the great I am, Jesus, wants to show up in your life today and change your world forever. Oh, a great prophet showed up. Yep, sure enough. And, and God has visited his people. Uh, yep, that's right. They didn't know how much. They, they probably weren't privy to a little town called Bethlehem. They weren't privy when God spoke to a virgin and said, all things are possible. When she said, I've not known a man, how can I have a baby? Because all things are possible with God. They weren't privy even to all that Jesus had done and certainly could imagine what he was going to do just in a while. Die on a cross, be buried, and resurrected. God has visited his people. Here's the good part. The visitation continues. God is still working today. Not just in North America, but in China, in North Africa, in East Africa, in South America, in Central Asia. Thousands and perhaps even in China, millions of people are coming to faith in the man who died on the cross, who was buried and came back to life. The Man Time magazine says, is, is, not was, is the most recognizable man on planet Earth. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So what do we want to do today? We want to give you the opportunity to make a commitment, to make a decision. On the bottom of your sermon sheet, I kind of gave you some, some scriptures, kind of like that means. You know, first off, it means to admit that you have sinned. And I know that's hard. You know, we have no problem saying, I made a mistake. I mean, all, oh yeah, I made a mistake today. But if I say, did you sin? That's, for some reason, we kind of want to push back from that. But as you can see there on the, on the sheet, look what it says in Romans 3, 10 through 12. It's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. So the first step to letting Jesus show up into your world like he wants to is to admit, I need a Savior. I need a Jesus. My world is collapsing because I am a sinner and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't go to church enough. I can't be baptized. I can't you know, give enough money. There's nothing I can do about it. I admit that I'm in deep weeds. I have sinned. second part goes this. Believe what the Bible declares about Jesus. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. The first verse says this, the first part. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed, the good news I proclaimed. For I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Oh, in case you're doubting, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have died. Paul, writing this to the Corinthian church, says, you know, he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve, eleven. He didn't stop there, though. Over 500 people. And most of these people, he would say, are still alive today at that time. Although some have died. How incredible. That's what the Bible declares about Jesus, that he died according to the scriptures. He arose and has appeared, proving that he is God. And now I've got ABC squared, convert and confess. Ah, those are religious terms. Let me break them down for you. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, repent or turn from, to change directions, to change your attitude. Repent, therefore, and be converted, be changed, that your sins may be blotted out. And then it continues in Romans. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's it. Even more simpler than that, admit to God you're a sinner. Believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he died on a Roman cross, was buried, and got up again, and ascended into heaven. And be willing to turn from your sin and follow him. And someone might push back and go, that's the problem, Dwayne. That, that follow him thing, that's the problem. That's because we've done a very bad job telling you what it means to follow Jesus. Because to most people, following Jesus means going to church three times a week, keeping all the rules, giving money, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. And Dwayne, that's, no, no, no. See, following Jesus means following Jesus. Does it involve keeping some rules? Yeah. But those rules are there for a better life, not bondage. May Bob give you money? I tell you what, I, I, I confess to you, I give. And the reason I give is because it's a blessing. You know, Jesus says more blessed to give, and I'm here to tell you, it works. It's just a great blessing as we trust God and we give. Go to church? That ain't been that bad, has it? Because you're going to get lucky, I can tell, because I'm fixing to do the invitation, and you're getting out early today. Not that I ever preach long. All right, guys, don't give, give it away. Yeah, we go to church. But it's all about grace. It's not about rules. It's not about going to church. It's not about, if, I, if I'm really good, God will love me. Oh, wish I could tell you how much he loves you. And he wants to come into your world today. So we have an invitation. I know this is crazy because we've got a whole bunch of people in here. And this isn't to embarrass you, but I know you've got some questions that you'd like answered. And i got a friend named Brent down here. Not that he has all the answers, but we'll take the Word of God and do the best we can to explain uh, answers to you that might, questions you might have. Um, but we won't give you that opportunity. So I'm going to have the worship team come up in a few minutes after we pray, in just a moment after we pray. I want to give you that opportunity to turn from your sins and follow Jesus Christ. And again, even Newsweek says he's the real deal. How incredible is that? Now, Dwayne, do I have to do it in front of all these people? Well, the Bible does say confess. It does say that. I think it probably means more confessing to God than anything else. Um, but, but you know what? I'll be standing around, and Brent will be around, Dave will be around. You know, grab one of these guys that got a name badge on and say, Hey, I want to know about this Jesus. I really couldn't do it in front of all those people. Or, or write this down, 499-0070 is my cell phone number. Wait till after lunch. Give me a call. <laughs> I don't want to miss Easter dinner, Okay. But give me a call, 499-0070, and I'd be glad and bring somebody with you. We'll come to your house. And again, try to answer your question, because really, listen, guys, we believe Jesus is the real deal. This is not a crutch for us. We believe what history says and what the Bible says and what our hearts tell us, that Jesus really is alive. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the incredible privilege of sharing this truth today. And thank you for leading Dr. Luke to interview people and get the story so we'd have it today. I want to thank you, God, that you're the kind of God who wants to come into our world and that you genuinely care. You genuinely are moved by our hurt, our pain, and our lostness, our need for a Savior. So, Father, I know probably in a crowd like this and people listening on the radio, there's got to be folks who have never let you come into the world. And all this today is worshiping you and celebrating you for the purpose of inviting and having them come and receive Jesus Christ into their world. That's what we pray for. 
So have your way as we sing, as we celebrate. Father, draw people to yourself. Because we understand that's not emotional. It's not coming to respond to a preacher. It's you drawing them under recognition of who you are. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.